Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. against Simona uh, in fourth round was that kind of moment when I realized that, whoa, I can really play great tennis against the best players on the big stadiums. You know, just realizing that you can, you can actually win against the, the greatest, you know. That's a moment I'll never forget. Uh, we will always remember that. So will Sophia Kennan on court three right now. She was the runner-up last year to Iga Sviantec and getting set to go before day one of Roland Garros has not won a clay court match yet this year. Back on our DraftKings Tennis Channel desk right next to court three where Sophia Kennan is warming up. Chandra Rubin, Steve Weissman, welcome John Wertham. Great to have you back with us. Hey guys, good to be here. We have a Saturday in Paris in May. Life's good. Life is grand indeed. Iga Sviantec turns 20 on Monday. Not only back in Paris as the defending champion, but now back here as a top 10 player. So what are her odds to repeat in Paris? Let's take a look right now. She is the favorite to win once again the title. Ash Barty, you could call them co-defending champions because Barty didn't play in 2020, won the title in 2019. Bianca Andreescu and Petra Kvitova in there as well. Chanda, how will the pressure and expectations be different for Iga Sviantec this time, knowing that, hey, she's the defending champ? Yeah, I think for Iga Sviantec, you know, she's gained so much. She has matured even since winning Roland Garros last year. You consider she hadn't won a title. Her first title is a a major, huge, but she's gone on to win a couple of more um, this year. I think that gives her a lot of confidence. And she's talked about this specifically, the fact that, you know, playing consistently at the top of the game, that was her next goal. And I think it's, it's a worthwhile goal and something that she's already kind of working towards right now. I'll tell you something to look out for. Simona Halep pulls out. What does that mean? Schwantek moves into a top eight seed, so she doesn't have to worry about playing anyone ranked ahead of her till the round of till the round of eight. But here's one: Garbina Muguruza is in her pocket of the draw in Australia. Mugu was in Osaka's pocket of the draw. We circled the match. Look at the fourth round. What happened? Great match. Match points. Muguruza couldn't hold on. Now we have another potential popcorn fourth rounder here with Muguruza and Schwantek. We have not had a repeat winner at Roland Garros since Justine Annen on the women's side. That was back in 2007. And for Iga Sviantek, takes on her good friend Kaya Yuvan in the first round matchup. How about Ash Barty? When she won this title a couple of years ago, she was the nine seed, but now comes in, Chanda, as the unquestioned number one ranked women's player in the world, comes in as the WTA's match wins leader. Three titles. What do you make of her chances to win again here at Roland Garros? Well, she's got a great chance, and you consider how well she has played on the red clay, the variety in her game, the confidence um, that she has. She didn't play for a year, came back out and kind of picked up where she left off and is undisputed as the number one, even though there were some doubts about that. 
uh, before she restarted. I think Ash Barty is still a little under the radar, although she, I think, is the favorite. She had a little bit of an injury in Rome where she had to pull out, but, you know, talked about that being something very manageable that she and her team know how to deal with. She had some time practicing in the south of France, really relaxed uh, way to spend the week before a major, and I think everything is lining up for Ash Barty to have a really good two weeks. Take that retirement out, and she has won 18 of her last 19 matches on the surface. I want to ask you guys, though. She comes in on a seven-match win streak at this venue. She didn't play, not because she chose, it was COVID times. It was a crazy October event. If she wins, can we not say she defended her title? I say yes. What do you say? What do you say? No, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to, but no, we can't. And she kind of talked about that, too. I mean, it's been, what, almost, it's two years yeah, now. Right, and that's right. been quite a while. Um, yes, the fact that she didn't play kind of could give some credence to that, John. And I like the question, but I would say There's no. Thought, actually, we should point out, too, we've been talking a lot about how Djokovic and Nadal, same side on the draw. What happened? Well, we have two players in Barty and Schwantek who are both coming in here, having held a trophy last time they've entered this event. They're on the same side of the draw as well. Yeah, they could meet in the semifinals. By the way, you talked about practicing in south of France. Ash Barty comes here to Roland Garros. What does she do? She practices with the two-seed. Naomi Osaka, they were practicing together before this event. John, you mentioned this earlier, a big matchup as we're dealing with some wind here on our set in between courts. Oh, and there go the papers. <laughs> Just as I talk about the wind, the papers are gone. Uh, the papers players, and my hair. Your hair looks great still. Uh, <laughs> and this is something players are going to have to deal with the, this year in the spring. I mean, it does get windy at times. Yeah, I think that's one of the worst things for players is, is dealing with the wind. But at least, you know, if the weather is good like this and it's pretty dry, you can at least, you know, deal with it a little bit better. And you always remember the player on the other side is having to deal with it as well. We simulate match conditions <laughs> up here. <laughs> that's what we do. We, we, we need more of these... Uh, I know, I needed like three of them. These tennis balls <laughs> made of glass to keep all of our papers together. Well, we'll keep TC Live rolling on and take a look at the American women later in the show. But first, Paul comes back to break down the men's side when TC Live at Roland Garros continues. second time in seven months, the tennis world descends upon this beautiful and charming city. Paris is always a good idea, especially in the spring. Back on our DraftKings Tennis Channel desk, John, Steve, and Paul. We're talking men's contenders here in this segment. In the top half of the draw, we have the big three. That's 59, if you add in Marin Cilic, combined major singles titles. Just one major singles title in the bottom half. You know what that means? opportunity. Let's check out the DraftKings odds right now. Who is expected to win? Obviously, the 13-time champ, Rafa Nadal. But Stefano Tsitsipas, John, take a look at that. Second favorite ahead of Novak Djokovic. Yeah, I think that's as much because of the draw and the realization that Djokovic is in the Nadal half than straight odds on to win. But no, Tsitsipas is on that second half of the draw is the name everyone has put in bold and with their yellow highlighter. All right, how about Dominic Team? You see there Fifth favorite to win this event. Four seed, two-time finalist here. Doesn't come in, Paul, with a whole lot of confidence. Why has he been struggling? I think he's just trying to 
get used to the new situation, right? Winning the U.S. Open last fall, being a Grand Slam champion, and kind of midway through his career, I think most players go through a little bit of a, of a shift. They kind of figure out what they want to do normally, but when you go midway through your career, then you win a major, and your whole life gets turned upside down. He talked about working his whole life to win her major title. He's gotten that. Now where does he go? And I think that that's created a little bit of a void, a little bit of perhaps a, a, a loss of intensity, took some time off. But look, he has been so successful here at Roland Garros. This man gets his teeth into the draw. He's going to be tough to stop. 28-7, and 7, 80% winning percentage here. But yeah, I mean, for a guy who plays a lot of tennis, 15 matches this year, and he's lost six of them. In his previous match, he lost two and three to Cam Norrie. Not a lot of momentum coming in. I think about team, and I also think about the big three we take for granted. It's totally normal. You win a major, your life is turned on its head. Your lifetime dream is fulfilled. It takes a while to adjust to that. When we see the week-in, week-out consistency of the big three, I think Dominic team's struggles only put what they've done in, in a higher perspective still. Plays Pablo Andahar first, who actually beat Roger Federer in Geneva. So we'll see about Dominic Team. You saw Stefano Tsitsipas, second favorite to win this event, Paul. And he comes in with a whole lot of confidence. Won Lyon, won his first Masters title in Monte Carlo just a few weeks ago. What has made his game translate so well on this surface? I just think he is such a dynamic player. He's one of the few guys at the top of the game that can play in all different areas of the court, right? He can play lateral tennis. He's a tremendous athlete. He's not afraid to come to the net, use that six foot five frame up at the net. And when he gets up there on the clay, very effective because he's such a good mover. And you look at these 33 matches that he's won this year, you talk about the titles. If you don't have confidence after that, then there's something seriously not right. So he's got a ton of confidence. And he's my second favorite behind Rafa as well. And like John said, a lot of it is because of the stack draw at the top. But I just think he's going to be someone that's going to be really dangerous, particularly if he gets into the draw. Is this the major, John, where he finally breaks through, makes his first final? maybe wins the whole thing? I would stop that sentence at final. Okay. Uh, but no, I think you're right. I think, look, we see this gradual progression. I mean, he came very close to reaching the final last year, went five sets. We saw him practicing yesterday, and I think it's what you said, Paul. We all know he hits a big ball, a beautiful back at the movement. He really knows his way around this clay. And he's also a realist. He knows I'm building gradually. All right, I've shown people I can get to the semis of a major Time to take that next step. I think he will be disappointed if he leaves here anything short of making that final. He's the one guy in the bottom half of the draw that can create problems for Nadal on clay because of his ability to come forward and backward and not get lulled into side to side, even more so than, than Dominic Team, because Team is going to try to beat him the same way. You're not beating Rafa the same way. You've got to be creative and come forward. That's a great point. 16-3 and three on clay this year, Stefano Tsitsipas. A guy who can also trouble Rafa on the surface is a guy who beat him Earlier this year, on the way to his second title in Madrid, that's Sasha Zverev. John is a two-time quarterfinalist here. He is in that other side of the draw, could face Tsitsipas in the semifinals. How serious or not serious of a contender is Alexander Zverev? Yeah, I, Paul, help me out here. I, I don't know. I mean, every time you're ready to buy, you know, he lost in the first round to Miami. I mean, he lost on clay this year to a player who's not even in the draw, Ivashka, who didn't qualify. And at the same time, as you say, he's won big events on clay. He's won big events this year. He's beaten Rafa on clay. I just am a little gun shy of, uh, I mean, a quarter finalist. He's been twice before. That's about where I see him. I'm a little gun shy predicting much more than that. What do you, what do you think? Well, it's, it's uh, nice to see him out there practicing on Philippe Chatrier right now uh, as we speak. And look, 
I think Zverev is one of these guys, like you said, John, really difficult to buy stock because you don't know what you're going to get. And now when you look at the bottom half of the draw, there is more expectation. And historically, with more expectation comes more pressure. And with more pressure with this man, we've seen a little bit more vulnerability. If he gets past his third-round match, I believe he will be getting way to the end of the tournament. Dan Evans or the Frenchman. Uh, the talented lefty Frenchman who's... Quartine Moutet. There you go. Oh. So if he gets past that one, he'll be in the latter stages of the tournament. It's could, a big if. Could face team in the quarterfinals. Could face Tsitsipas in the semifinals. Remember, Zverev won one of the, the big lead-up yep. events. Tsitsipas won one of the big lead-up events. Rafa took the other two and said, if the next generation was going to take over, talk to me in three or four weeks <laughs> exactly. at the end of that little event. Exactly. In Not Paris. just yet, guys. <laughs> Not yet. A lot more still to get to here on TC Live. When we come back, Coco Golf, Sophia Kennan, Seb Korda, John Isner. We're going to preview the Americans. Chanda Rubin returns. Plus, check out the new tennis.com. Visit our new website. Download the new app. It is the home for tennis news, scores, and everything about our sport. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. that and working on changing up the variety of my serves and yeah that's basically the main thing you can expect for me to come for French Open. My goal right now is to try to play as many tournaments as possible and do well in them. Also I mean the goal is to win every tournament you play so I want to win French Open but I still have a long road ahead of me. That's a pretty good goal. Here is Coco Golf on the grounds of Roland Garros, seated at a major for the first time, just 17 years old, comes in at a career-high 25 in the world, took the singles and doubles titles in Parma, youngest to do that since Maria Sharapova in 2004. Paul, Chanda, Steve, back with you on our DraftKings Tennis Channel desk. And for Coco Golf. I mean, she's a Roland Garros junior champion. She knows how to play on this surface and has talked about being so much more comfortable here and saying that Paris is her second favorite city in the world. Got to feel good coming off that title in Parma. Yeah, that always helps. When the singles and doubles uh, golf did, the doubles with Katie McNally, her good friend, I think that has helped to relax her a little bit more. And she's talked a bit about that, trying to stay more in the moment. And you think at 17, you shouldn't even be having to think about those things. But there is so much attention that has been on golf. And at times you could feel and sense the pressure that she was under. But I think her game has been coming together. It's really been a 
about the mental and emotional side. She's so good under pressure, competing, finding ways to win, was able to do that in pharma. And anytime you can win a title, you can be the last person standing, holding the trophy up. That doesn't happen often for professional players. It's a confidence booster. So, you know, she's coming in with, I think, a good feeling, a lot of confidence, and, you know, had a little bit of relaxed practice beforehand. I think that should hold her in good stead as well. Second career title, Paul. I was watching her on Instagram Live. She, she did her own live broadcast right after winning, and somebody had to write in and said, you're seated at Roland Garros. She was like, I, I had no idea. Up to a career high 25. And I, I love that innocence about Coco Golf, but comes in with this confidence. How far do you think she can go here? Well, we forget how young she is, right? We've talked about her for a few years now, but such a great player and now coming off this title, as Chanda mentioned. I think one of the biggest things that she's really come to grips with is she can win on her average days because we've talked about her serve being a bit of an issue. But guess what? She just won a title. So now maybe she's not having a big emotional reaction if she doesn't serve great. She's finding ways to stay in rallies. She's so athletic. She's so smart. She moves so well on the surface. So as long as she keeps that composure, as long as she continues to problem solve and stay away from, uh-oh, what if my serve goes off the rails? If her serve goes off the rails, she could still win anyway. And so now I think she's really learning to use the other gears in her game and manage that excellence in big moments. And that's what winning does. little added motivation as well. She's ranked right behind Madison Keys for that fourth and final single spot on the U.S. Olympic team. So at 25 in the world, could pass Madison Keys. Remember, it's after Roland Garros that the rankings are set. For the Olympic team, we saw Sophia Kennan a little bit earlier, Chanda. She has a whole new coaching team, no longer with her father. When she got to the final here last year, won a Grand Slam title, got into the top five. It's been a tough little stretch for Kennan. Can she find her groove back in Paris? Yeah, I think, you know, if she can find it anywhere, it would be here where, you know, she did so well last year where she has a little more time to build her points. You know, she's so solid, so good from the ground, has just enough variety with the drop shots that she can throw in, but is mentally tough as well. She's going through a difficult period. It's always, you know, not easy when you are going through a coaching change, but especially when it's been your father. And when that's been such an important relationship in your life, it's hard to separate. And so she's got to work through that along with all the eyes that are on her, the expectations she has on herself. She's practicing right over there. You know, she probably knows some of this. Okay. Okay. You know, and and I think that's, you know, some of the challenge that she faces right now. She doesn't want to match on the red clay. Um, So, you know, she's got to kind of get it going early. But if she can do it, you know, anywhere, it probably would be here. It's good that your paperweight's working now, too. That's, that's By impressive. By the way, whenever Chanda is on set, the wind starts to pick up. What's going on with that? What's happening? I was wondering, is it me? Storm. Chanda Storm Rubin is what we're going to call we her. Go. Uh, on the men's side for the U.S., no American man ranked in the top 30 heading into Roland Garros for the first time in rankings history. That's the bad news. Good news, Riley Opelka is coming in off making the semifinals in Rome. First Masters 1000 semifinal. How do you think he can do here in Paris? Well, look, nobody wants to play Riley Opelka on anything. Uh, the clay course may help you return to serve a little bit, but with his height at just about seven feet, the clay just allows him to bounce it even higher, gives him a little bit more time to use those big ground strokes. And you mentioned the ability that he showed at Rome getting to the semifinals. Can he do it three out of five sets? Can he do it match after match at Roland Garros? His challenge will be his emotional disposition. Can he stay positive or will he beat himself up? Uh, Riley can get negative and get down on himself. And when he does that, he lets players in the match. When he doesn't, no one wants to face this man. 
This is right beside us, Court 5. Live right now, Riley Opelka getting his warm-up in. What, what do you think would be a good result for Riley Opelka here at Roland Garros? You know, I mean, it, I think, you know, if you can get to a round of 16, then it's sort of, you know, anybody, anybody can kind of get into that second week and, and maybe make some noise. And certainly with how Opelka has grown, how his game has kind of started to round into form a little bit more, this is a surface for it. He can rally from the ground. He's got the big serve that's a weapon on any surface. Uh, so, yeah, I think if he could kind of sneak past into that round of 16, who knows? Listen, we haven't had an American man win the title at Roland Garros since Andre Agassi back in 1999. Maybe one of the next generation can get it done. Seb Korda and Tommy Paul played each other in the semifinals in a lead-up event in Parma. Seb Korda got the victory to get into the final. This is a guy who leads all American men, Paul, in tour-level wins this year. Got to the round of 16 in Paris last year. Ranked outside the top 200, now he's almost a top 50 player. Yeah, I think it's, it's a little premature to think about any of the young Americans getting to the finals or holding the trophy up here. But when you talk about this gentleman right here, he has seen such a great start to the year. Look at the rankings skyrocket up. Believes in himself, like you mentioned, Steve, fourth round here last year. Um, able to do things on this surface because he's a great athlete at, at six foot five. Hits the ball big, moves really well, and has a great level of composure in his game already. But I think all the young Americans, look, we've talked about the young American men, oh, no one in the top 30, blah, blah, blah. Tommy Paul, Taylor, Riley, uh, Foe, and, and Seb, they're all doing just fine. You know, they're not where they need to be yet, but they're making progress. Your expectations for, for Seb Korda coming off of what he did last year? You know, it, it'd be interesting to see, obviously, you know, trying to at least get to the round of 16 again. Nobody wants to really have to think about defending points. You want to look at it as, as, as if it's a new tournament starting all over again. But I think with the confidence he gained, with what he saw he could do in pressure and some, you know, against some tough opponents, I think that should help him. And as Paul said, I mean, he just seems to have a maturity in his game, an understanding of, you know, how he needs to be mentally and emotionally out there in big moments. So that should help him tremendously this year. Two finals already this year for young Sebi Korda. A lot more to get to here on TC Live from Roland Garros. John Wertheim goes unstrung on a tale of two cities. Plus, I ask our experts questions about Naomi Osaka's decision not to answer questions. And we get you set for some big matches on day one from Paris. Covered. The new night session begins at 3 p.m. Eastern on Monday, and everything is available on TC Plus with encore coverage all evening. It's smooth sailing 24-7, but as John Wertheim explains, a more arduous journey awaits the players. Swimming across the English Channel, the 21 miles between Calais, France, and Dover, England, marks one of the ultimate physical triumphs a feat of durability and mental strength. The tennis version, the so-called channel double, is no walk in the park either. Win on the clay of Roland Garros, and it's a statement, but it seldom echoes. That is, it rarely predicts success the following months on the lawns of the All England Club. 
Since Rod Laver's Grand Slam in 1968, only three other men have pulled off winning the French Open in Wimbledon in the same year. Bjorn Borg did it three years in a row, from 1978 to 1980, one of tennis's more underrated records. It took 28 years before it was replicated. Then Rafa Nadal did it in 2008, beating the same man in both finals, Roger Federer, who then did it himself the following year. And then it was Nadal's turn, doing it in 2010. Since then, no one. The women have had a bit more luck, or skill. Serena Williams channel doubled as recently as 2015, and she did it in 2002. Steffi Graf, four times. Martina Navratilova, twice. Chris Everett, once. Margaret Court pulled it off in 1970. Yvonne Gulagong the next year. Billie Jean King, the year after that. And still, that's it, over the last 65 years. Why the high degree of difficulty? Well, it's a combination of compressed time and change in surface. Until 2015, players had only two weeks between the two events. This year, owing to the COVID delay at Roland Garros, we're back to two weeks. In both cases, though, it doesn't give the winners, who of course play until the final weekend in Paris, much time to recover. We'll see if the Paris winner can do it again four weeks later. History says unlikely. The Channel Double, it's very much a tale of two cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, and that could be said of some players on one surface versus the other. All the players that you mentioned, John, in the piece, I mean, those are Hall of Fame caliber players. Paul, who do you think could be the next to achieve this feat this year and beyond? Well, it's interesting. I mean, we, I don't think we talk enough about Steffi Graf doing it four times. Four times. I mean, th- that's just unbelievable. You know, ironically, for the great players, okay, only great players tend to win majors. I actually think now it's easier to do it than back in the day. Mm. And the reason for the great players uh, for it being a little bit easier now is because of the homogenization of the surface and conditions. You can play very similar styles now, whereas 20 years ago, you couldn't. It was very different back then. Lightning courts, lighter balls on the grass. You come here, very different. So if I had to pick someone in the men, I got to go Rafa, because who's beating Rafa here? So you got to give Rafa the best chance. There's only one other guy, I think, right now that you, that has a slim chance, and that is uh, Mr. Novak Djokovic, because he's the one guy that can trouble Nadal. So those are the two guys I only see have it. And on the women's side, I still think if Serena can stay healthy, she could do that. She could win on both surfaces. Really? Yep, I do. She is the. I mean, you know, for the record, she is the last female to have pulled that off. That was in. 2015. Uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, yo, but Muguruza, mm-hmm. Simona Halep, they've won each. They've won the French Open and Wimbledon, just not in back-to-back years. I think it's just tough personnel-wise, right? As you say, you've got to get through Rafa on clay, and then you've got to get through first Roger and then Novak at Wimbledon. That's that's tough. Maybe uh, I'm maybe? going to put an asterisk, too. I'm, I'm going to put Ash Barty in there as well. Sure. I mean, she's already won yeah. here and says that grass is her favorite right. surface. Yeah. You could throw Coco Golf in there in the future. Now, what about Stefano Sitsipas? That's what I was going to say. Exactly. I um, think you could do both. Not a lot of data points on grass yet, but if we're projecting five, ten years down the road when presumably Nadal isn't here, 
I think Tsitsipas has a real shot. Like, Nadal oh. still may win, even if he's yeah, not in this tournament. Exactly. By the way, Iga Swiatek <laughs> is, is a Wimbledon junior champion, and she won this last year yeah. defending her title. So we shall see. Uh, it is difficult to accomplish, however. When we come back, much more here on TC Live. Nearly every player was asked about it in press. What they think of Naomi Osaka not speaking to the press. Our experts weigh in. Osaka has made it known she will not be speaking. Here's what Osaka had to say, quote, I'm not going to do any press during Roland Garros. I've often felt that people have no regard for athletes' mental health, and this rings very true whenever I see a press conference or partake in one. We're often asked questions that bring doubt into our minds, and I'm just not going to subject myself to people who doubt me. Osaka's peers were asked about this decision. At times, press conferences are hard, of course, but it's also not something that, that bothers me. Um, you know, I've, I've never had problems um, answering questions or being completely honest with you guys. It's not, it's not something that's ever uh, fazed me too much and, um, you know, certainly doesn't, doesn't for me personally, doesn't, doesn't keep me up at night, uh, what, what I say in here or, or what you guys ask me. So I, I try to, to make it a little bit lighter and have a bit of fun. I personally feel that this is, you know, part of the job. And, of course, you know, talking to press after after we lost, it's not, like, the, be- the most enjoyable thing to do. But it's good to, you know, find the balance and find the distance to all of that. Back on our Tennis Channel DraftKings desk, I certainly empathize with the me- mental health part of this issue and realize that Naomi Osaka can do whatever she wants and, and pay the fines. But, John, what was your reaction to the decision that Osaka made? Yeah, I, there, there's a lot going on here. Part of this is about media and athletes and technology. I think, first of all, as you say, I think there really is a mental health component to this. I mean, you say Osaka's game is going to speak for itself. It might be a whisper because she's not playing well. She's not feeling confident on the surface. I think that is part of that. I do think you could pick apart that statement. For example, when, when she says, I don't want to subject myself to, to doubt, I'm, I'm not sure it's the media's job to support or doubt. There is a, a level of objectivity. I also... I don't know if you noticed as well, the, the FFT had some fairly strong words in response, and I have a feeling their, their statement uh, may have been a little bit more subdued from what they were saying privately. But here, Jill Morton, it's not acceptable to me. We'll stick to the laws and the rules and the penalties and the fine. It's very detrimental to the sport. He's talking about a media boycott, the WTA. Again, I think these statements are uh, crafted and, and maybe a bit more benign than what was said privately. But I don't know if you guys caught it. Even when the players were responding... There was Perrier in the background. There was a logo for for Vitel drinks. Um, This all fits into sponsorship and growth of the sport, and I think we shouldn't divorce that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a a tough thing because the issue that's at the base of it, I think it's it's very right, and I think it's admirable for her to speak out about it. Mental health, I mean, that's something that needs to not be a stigma that people, athletes in general, have to be able to speak out about, and they have to do things to take care of themselves on and off the court from a mental aspect. I think the way she said her statement maybe wasn't as thought out for me in terms of separating the two because players having to do press conferences, 
you know, uh, the media isn't responsible to look out for athletes' mental health. They're just there to ask questions. And yes, you could maybe look at, you know, some of, you know, the media you know, people that maybe ask questions over and over that, you know, shouldn't be a part uh, of a, a media conference, a press conference after a match in particular. You know, but Naomi Osaka has a few options as well. You know, I remember Joe Conta when a reporter asked her a question and she said, you know, you're patronizing me. I'm not going to answer it. Yeah. She could choose yeah. not to answer these questions. You know, she could say, OK, this is after a match. I'm not going to talk about anything other than the match. There are so many options that players as adults have. And I think you've got to look at both sides of the, the, the coin and kind of focus on really what's at issue here. It, it's interesting because today's superstar athletes, John, they, they don't need to hold press conferences anymore to make news. J.J. Watt announced he was going to Arizona by posting a photo of himself on social media with a Cardinals T-shirt said, source me. Should, should we change the way that we do press conferences? I mean, that's, that's part of it. There is a 100-year-old model that we're adhering to back when the sports and the athletes needed traditional media. That has changed. I don't think that's what that's – I mean, Naomi Osaka, as gifted as she is on social media, I don't think that's what that's about. Um, I, I do think that the press conference mode might be changed. Uh, it's not ideal for, for back and forth. I want to ask you a question, though, press conference style. Mm-hmm. Do you wonder what this says about Osaka to her opponent? And by that, I mean, if this is a mental sport, you're out there, it's battle. If I know the player on the other side of the net gets rattled by press conference questions to the point that before a tournament she's writing this about her mental health, is that something that might be a little bit of a tell to the rest of the field? Yeah, I think it could create a little doubt in the minds of opponents on on how tough is she out there on court when, you know, ironically enough, she's been one of those players who has shown a toughness mentally, who's been able in matches in real time recover, you know, from difficult situations and come back and win big titles. So it's a little surprising that, you know, she's sort of framing the issue from this standpoint about press conferences in general. It's different when you say, I'm not going to talk to the press at all during this two-week period versus, you know, maybe I'm not going to answer certain questions when I have to do press conferences. I do think it's, it's a little bit strange, and I think most of the, the responses from players have been, look, it's part of the job. We know that. It's what we sign up for, and, you know, we just try to manage it and have balance. She did write, we should point out, to the, to the FFT and basically said, look, this is not about your event. This is about me and where I am. I don't think she intended this to be quite the statement and quite the talking point it is, but... Here we are. I think she did, John. You I do. think she did. I mean, she's got a lot of followers. You know, she put out a, I mean, this was clearly, you know, a statement that she wanted to be out there before the tournament. She could have just done it during the tournament and said, I'm not going to do press conferences and taking the fine. She didn't actually have to make a statement. So I think she definitely wanted that to be part of the conversation. Well, in that case, she succeeded. This has been the tournament. I mean, even in the, in, walk the, walk the gangways here, this is what everyone's talking about. So yeah. this is the pre-tournament story. Listen, she, she is subject to up to $20,000 in fines for every press conference that she misses. She is also the world's highest paid female athlete. $55 million it was reported she made last year. Arena Sabalenka getting set to go. Top five player, first ever, that has never been to a major quarterfinal. Guess who else hasn't been to a major quarterfinal? Felix Oje Aliasim, the Canadian, looking for his first main draw win at Roland Garros. More TC Live after this.
2021. Cannot wait to get going from Paris. Congratulations to Sam Riffis from Florida winning the NCAA singles title. The Gators also took the NCAA team title on the men's side, Paul. Yeah, it was uh, an exciting NCAAs this year. How about a shout-out for my Tennessee Volunteers coach, Chris Woodruff, Adam Alton, and Pat Harper snagging that doubles championship. Way to go, guys. And how about Virginia's Emma Navarro, friend of the show, defeating the defending champ, Stella Perez-Somariba. That, by the way, avenging her only loss of the season to win the NCAA women's singles title with 25-1 and one this year, Chanda. I am a Navarro. She continues to impress, showing herself to be a player that's growing. Her game is getting bigger. She's been having success on the uh, Pro Tour and also showing the ability to play some of her best tennis under pressure. So congratulations to her as well. Absolutely. Congratulations to the entire Navarro family. Obviously, Emma got her first WTA win live on Tennis Channel in Charleston earlier this year. So big things ahead for Emma Navarro. Let's take a look at Sunday's featured matches. Naomi Osaka leads off on Philippe Chatrier against Patricia Maria Teague. A lot of big matchups here. Azarenka, Kuznetsova. That's one we're going to break down. Third on Philippe Chatrier. You've got two Grand Slam champions, and you have one Roland Garros champion. Who wins in this one, Chanda? You would maybe say the former Roland Garros champion, uh, Kuznetsova. But, you know, I think Vicar Azarenka, you know, she's been finding her form. We haven't really talked as much about her. She had a nice finish to the year last year. I think this isn't necessarily her favorite surface, but she's gotten better. Um, this could be, this could go any way. I think this is, is sort of a, a crapshoot a little bit with the way both these players have been playing. But maybe the slight advantage to Kuznetsova. Just on this surface. Ooh, I'm going. I'm going Azarenka. Okay. I just want to be contrarian to chance. I like it. I'm just I worried like their it. papers are going to go flying everywhere. Yeah, what, it, it's leave. literally, literally me. It's, it's only the wind when again. you're on set. <laughs> only it's when you're here. Something going on. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. Uh, this is low-key, in my opinion, the, the best match of the day. Amanda Anasimova, former semifinalist here at Roland Garros, the American teenager, taking on Veronika Kudermetova, the top-ranked Russian in the world, who's been playing great on clay, one in Charleston. Yeah, Kudermetova, very talented. I'm looking for Anasimova to have another big tournament, though, here. She loves playing in Paris, and uh, I think she's going to come out strong. That'll be a really tough start, but another flip of the coin. Do you want to be contrarian with me? you want to go against my prediction? Or? What, your prediction is Anasimova? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with Kudermetova. Yeah, I mean, I got to go against you, Paul. We got a battle here. All right. Because literally before the draw came out, I'm like, I think Kudermatova is going to make a deep run here. But now against Anasimova, it's a bit of a toss-up. On the men's side, you got Dominic Team, who is looking to find his form again, Paul, and looking to do it in a place where he's made a couple of finals, taking on Pablo Andahar, who has been playing pretty well on this surface coming in. Yeah, Andahar beat Roger uh, just a, a week ago in Geneva and a very talented player. But Dominic Team, you're right. He has has to find his way. Look, three out of five sets, I think, is great for players of composure because you can figure it out. And Team, uh, he's pretty good on this stuff, so he'll figure it out. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Go can he work me. his way into this event, three out of five? Team? Yeah. Sure, of course. There you go, Chip. Absolutely. I, I'm going to go with Paul. And there we go. Yes. we got to stick You're together at least Pablo, once. You're going with Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For Paul Anico and Chanda Rubin, John Wertheim, our entire Tennis Channel team, I'm Steve Wiseman. We are a day away. Rafa Nadal, his quest for La Decimo Cuarta, 14th title at Roland Garros, begins our coverage 5 a.m. Eastern on Sunday. 
We'll see you then.